Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week, going to guide you gently through another show, but it's the first studio show we've done for six weeks, or the first one I've done anyway. So it's good to be back here with my co-host, Frank Washcook. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Steve. It's been a while, hasn't it? And um, we're escaping from this sort of slightly science fiction world <laughs> in New York City where we're, it's it's uh, mid-afternoon and it feels like nighttime with all this smoke coming it's down a, from Canada. Yeah, it's a very reddish shade out there, very uh, Blade Runner. It is. Blade Runner is the way it's, yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. But uh, we're, we're safely ensconced in the studio, which is probably the safest place to be. Um because by the window, you can you can almost smell it. You can smell it. So, uh, But anyway, we've got a brilliant guest today. We've got John Saunders, president and CEO of Fleshman Hillard, on the show. John, we finally got you on the podcast after nearly eight years. How are you? I'm doing well. I, I feel I've well and truly arrived <laughs> in the industry. I am on the Steve and Frank show, or should that be the Frank and Steve show? You can wrestle about that your, yourselves, but I, I've made it at last. Well, did I mention it's an award-winning podcast, John, the uh, Neil Awards, the Oscars of the business-to-business journalism industry, named us the best best podcast. So, yeah, and it's definitely the Frank and Steve show. Yeah, you had it right there. Everything, everything you guys do is award-winning. I have to compliment you on your very high levels of energy. I can only envy it, and indeed all of your staff. Um, it's phenomenal, and I hope your uh, bosses are paying you all major bonuses. Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. We'll probably draw a veil over that bit, but uh, thank you, John, for the uh, – and you're probably still basking in uh, your beloved Everton Football Club managing to just about stay in the English Premier League in the soccer. Well, I have to tell you, Steve, um, I've discovered something uh, over the last two years as Everton – in the last two seasons, have just managed to survive. There's actually a very, very big thrill in surviving. <laughs> I mean, winning trophies like Manchester United do, there's a certain joy in in that. But um, surviving uh, is in a completely different league of satisfaction. And you- Mind you, I'm, I'm, I'm still taking the tablets. Yeah. Do you think that puts you in a really good position to be a PR agency global CEO, that sort of survival instinct? I, I certainly, <laughs> um, those levels of resilience um, are undoubtedly helpful. <laughs> so we're going to chat to John and uh, then we've got loads to talk about because we haven't been here for a while. So we'll talk about PR Week's Pride in PR list and Pride Month. This incredible story about Live Golf and P- the PGA. Nobody saw that coming. We had our brand entertainment awards uh, um, this week. Corey Debrawa and Aaron Radlett, interesting uh, changes for them. Very high-profile in-house comms folks. Uh, uh, Tracy Shogren at uh, Nectar retiring. Joel Frank suing Twitter over unpaid bills. Chris Licht is out at CNN. Messi's off to Miami. Jude Bellingham's off to uh, Real Madrid, Frank. Uh, we've got so much to talk about. But, John, let's start with you. Agency of the Year, PR Week Agency of the Year, two years running winning agency of the year at the Oscars of the PR. You must be incredibly proud about that. Talk us through what's really made it happen. As we say in Ireland, Gurumila <laughs> Mahagrit, uh, a thousand thank yous to PR Week and to the judges for for, for that. Um, I'd like to think 
it's down to um, a very high level of consistency um, with a dollop of great creativity on top of it. Um, we have a great team here, uh, phenomenal people um, working throughout the Fleischmann-Hilliard world and together we've worked really hard over the last five or six years to get Fleischmann-Hilliard to the place that it is today. And, and the cornerstones of, of that have been our people, our, our culture, um, and at all times uh, concentrating and trying to figure out um, how we can do better for our clients. And one of the key ways that we, we have done that is that we created what we call our global client leader and our client accelerator program. So one of the things that we discussed a number of years ago was that, so take client X, big client, and you have somebody leading that client uh, they are very focused on it, but a lot of the time a weakness is they don't really get time to come up for air um, and, and to see what else is going on around the world. And so we've created these fora for where all our client leaders uh, talk together about the issues of the day, whether that you've already referred to. Uh, the, the the big movement in golf in the last 24 hours. Um, and so whatever the trends are, that our client leaders are being fed all the latest data on that particular issue that they in turn can feed back to their clients. So the left hand is talking to the right hand at, at, at all times. And yeah, they want you to come in and tell them things they don't know, don't you? And get a perspective and get an external perspective. So yeah, you're right. But but what is really important that what clients are also asking us, Steve, is what are what are other clients yeah, doing? Yeah, yeah. They want they want to know that if they're making a decision, if they're going to speak out on X issue or Y issue or whatever, that broadly they're in the same space as others. So you you had double digit growth in 2022, and that was on top of a great year um, in 2021. I, I think when we interviewed you for the agency business report, you said this. 2022 was the best year by some distance in Flashman's yeah. history. And that you've got an objective to hit 40, 40% growth by the end of 23. Now, how's that panning out, which would, would effectively equate to single-digit uh, growth over 23? We know it's a different year this year. You know that We know the economic situation is a bit different. Tell us, give us a bit of insight into how it's panning out for the agency and, and, and your clients by extension. So, yeah, I mean, what you're referring to is the performance in 21 and again in 2022 and combined, uh, they got us to a situation where we'd grown by a, th a third. Um, I think there's a possibility that we will make that 40% by the end of this year, but it's going to be really hard to achieve. This is an incredibly uh, complex year. Uh, it's one, if not the strangest I've experienced in my career. I mean, if you if you take on one level, gentlemen, if you take just look, take a look at the stock market and what's what's going on. So you've got the, the you've got the stock market so far this year up over ten percent. But if you boil that down, it's essentially seven major corporations are creating all of that growth. Now I have to say in 
fairness to the people that I work for, um, Omnicom has gone along at a pretty healthy clip this year in terms of uh, been up uh, over 10% itself this year. And, and uh, so the Omnicom stock price on Omnicom is doing really, really well. But it's, it's essentially those big tech firms, you know, Alphabet, it's Tesla, you know, it, it's um, Microsoft, Amazon, NVIDIA, who are doing really, really well. And so if you were to strip out those seven big, big technology names, the stock market would actually be flat or slightly underwater for, for, for the year. So that's an example of how... Uh, uneven it is this this year. You've got high inflation in many places, and yet you've got low, low employment. And I think all of those factors are at play for us. So, you know, we're, we, I are still trying to decipher what kind of year 2023 is going to be. I've got to take it as it comes. You know, I'm paid to get ahead of the trends here um, and to get growth into the business. Um, but it's um, a very stop-start year. We're experiencing in many of our offices here in America, indeed in Europe and in Asia, real growth. And then we're experiencing the rest, or, or the reverse rather, in some other places. So trying to put your finger on it is um, really, really difficult. But I'm hearing the same broad message coming from um, a lot of our competitors too. Yeah. Now, another thing you said in the agency report was that uh, the focus, one of the big focuses for 23 would be ESG. And clearly that's top of mind with everybody at the moment. Um, there's a backlash against what, what some call woke capitalism, a horrible phrase and slightly meaningless, but you know, it's out there, it's in the public domain and people are calling it that. What's your perspective on that and how are you helping companies navigate this? We're going to talk about one of those companies um, when we come to the the discussion around pride because that's 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 you know been a very different pride month for for corporations this year as as compared to last year because of that backlash what is, what's your perspective on everything that's been going on in that space i would say two things um, we as a firm are trying to be as consistent as we possibly can ourselves for internally for um for ourselves and what, what we stand for. Um, but we also have to be very mindful that we represent a whole a panoply of clients uh, whose um, cultures range from what might be termed by American terms liberal right across to being ultra conservative. Um, and, and so the advice is always nuanced. It's always to be respectful of, of audiences. Um, but right now, it is very complex. And, the compl and it's made more complex by um, the fact that here in America, at least, um, the, the law is changing. The law is changing a lot of issues. And one thing is that um, all of us, whether it's Fleischmann Hilliard or anybody else in the business, we need to be on the right side of the law. And the law is different in many parts of, of uh, the U.S. So each situation um, that arises is, has its own complexities. And it's uh, difficult giving advice. And I, I don't envy those firms that find themselves in, in the crosshairs. But what, what, what we can say is that it behoves all of us, whether it's 
you know, my firm, Fleischmann Hillard, or the people we represent is that we try and be as consistent as we can at all times. Um, and that we all as organizations are vulnerable if Office X or Outlet Y or Store Z behaves in a way that's contrary to those values. So it's not easy. Yeah. And do you feel that there's almost like there's a, there's a 5% of the loudest people at, at either end of an agenda that tend to be dominating a lot of these discussions when actually you hope that somewhere there's a, there's a mid ground where people can maybe agree to disagree and have a, a sort of civilized conversation about things. But what seems to be happening is all of these issues get hijacked by a very noisy minority and that is amplified by by media that that tend to you know that, that get clicks and eyeballs out of this well i i i, I agree with that um absolutely a hundred percent i mean you know in in the time that i've spent in in this business i'm i'm fascinated by the extent to which um the tools we have for communicating with each other have evolved to an extent that one could never have imagined, yet our ability to actually communicate with one another, our ability to listen, our ability to take on messages rather than everybody roaring at each other, um, is probably less sophisticated than it was 40 mm. years ago. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe that's behind this whole um, Gen Z trend of uh, going back to Y2K and dropping the smartphones for a flip phone and getting off social media. Maybe they've got it right. So uh, you make a fair point. Just to finish, John, because we'll get into a lot of these uh, issues as well when we're chatting about the news stories. But you've got a unique perspective on the whole global industry, started out in Ireland, building a business, taking on a big role in, in uh, London, in the UK, and then coming and doing the global role from St. Louis and all around the world. What What's your take on the industry at the moment and where it's at? Because... We've all we've all been talking about how it's much more respected than it used to be. It's it's in demand at the C-suite level, CEO level. Uh, are you broadly? I mean, I know you're going to say yes to this, but are we at a place where we've never been before in terms of the the, the industry and 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 the way it's pushing forward? Yeah, I am um, ab absolutely. I mean, it's unrecognisable from from the business that I entered from journalism all, all those years ago. And I, I'm personally uh, rather less consumed by uh, some of the issues that sometimes trouble us as an industry, whether, for example, we call ourselves communications or we call ourselves PR. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be regarded as a PR guy um, I'm very, I'm very comfortable with that. I, 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 it's a, it's a very sizable industry uh, with tens of thousands of people gainfully employed, doing amazing work uh, for our clients. And I have a very deep sense that we are much more valued by clients than we um, have ever been. So I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty chilled about some of these existential questions i mean and 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 I, I you know i i i do i think there are issues that we get rightly criticized about or around say uh you know d and i although i think there's a 
uh, a lot of progress has and is being made. Um, but for example, given the time of the year that's in it, um, I, I think that our industry for a long time has been at the forefront of the whole pride conversation. And I think that that's something that uh, the industry should be proud of. It wasn't always the case, but probably has been for 10 or 15 years. And I think these are really positive moves. Yeah, for sure. All right, John, well, thanks. And we'll get your input on some of these stories. And that's a good segue, Frank, to Pride in PR, which is PR Week's uh, feature. It runs through June, where we profile one uh, LGBTQI PR pro each day. And then, uh, obviously, we've been doing a lot of coverage of Pride Month as well. So talk us through that. Starting with the Pride in PR list, it's a great list like it is every year. And really well-respected folks on the list. Uh, if you look at Paul George, uh, who leads healthcare at Omnicom PR Group, uh, or Jim Joseph, who's a longtime agency veteran across the industry. And uh, for the first time, we have a White House communications director on the list, which is a milestone in and of itself. So um, it's a terrific list every year, but I think this year it is it is especially good. Um, it has to be said that, you know, this is all taking place amid a more hysterical backdrop than it uh, has in years past. And there's a lot of anger uh, out there uh, on social media, and I think you're seeing in the real world too, unfortunately, you know, about advancements by the LGBTQ community and more acceptance and uh, people pushing back to that. Uh, so, so it's important to celebrate these things in a year like this, where there is blowback to that. So, uh, I, Frank, Frank, if I could just jump in, sorry, Jerry. I, 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 first of all, I think what PR Week has and is doing this front is terrific. I think it's it's really, really good um, when you highlight individuals in the way that you have and celebrate them. That's terrific. But to your point about some of this blowback, I think it's really important that um, people like me and, and other CEOs that we um, are very clear at a time like this who and what we stand for and that we show that we are four square behind um, all of our colleagues who who are, you know, taking part in in Pride, who who are members of the LGBTQIA plus communities, um, and and we're right with them. And and you know, I listened to what Paul George had to say, and I mean, he was making the point that he entered the industry at a time when it wasn't always a cool thing to uh, come out and express that you're gay. Um, and and now today, colleagues like um, Paul and, and uh, the hundreds of others uh, here at this organization throughout OPRG and Omnicom um, can, can come to work and be their best selves. And, and we, we mustn't ever give any opportunity for anyone to push back on that. Yeah, well said, John. And uh, the other side of this, Frank, is, of course, brand campaigns. And there's yes. been a lot of blowback to people like Target, Millicores, Anheuser-Busch, and others for their activities. Um, but then we did a story about uh, the most uh, respected brand in terms of LGBTQI support, and Target did come out on top of that. So it's interesting to see research like that set against a lot of the noise as the, that we were talking about. It would be interesting to take this poll over again in a few months and see what the results uh, would be like. Because while uh, this poll, and it's from Bospar, and it's a survey of uh, more than a thousand U.S. media consumers, 
and it found that it was done post. It was done from June first to the fourth. So yeah, it okay, was so it's, it was it's very current. Yeah. yeah, and so it was once Target was in the headlines for um, you know moving some displays that were Pride Month themed uh, back into less trafficked areas of the store. Uh, or things like that once they started happening. Now, Target ranked first on this list. They were followed by Apple, Disney, Nike, and Levi's in terms of uh, broadest support for the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, and the bottom five were Kohl's, Reebok, Coach, Miller Coors, and Chick-fil-A. So uh would be interesting to see in a few months if Target continued to top the list or there was some anger about how they handled the situation. Yeah, ironic that Chick-fil-A was at the bottom there when they are getting um, some pushback themselves for just purely for appointing a DE&I person in their organization. <laughs> yes, and, and to me, that just shows how radical a lot of this blowback is and that, uh, look, every company should have a DEI officer. You know, and and should have a way that makes sure everybody feels comfortable working there. So, yeah, you know, I was at the Queen's Pride March on Sunday in the New York Borough, and interestingly, they have a policy there where they won't take sponsorship mm-hmm. from big national brands. They only take uh, commercial support from local brands because you know there is a concern within the LGBTQI community that a lot of brands are purely pink washing or you know. Um, pride washing, and 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 that's actually caused frustration. So it's it's not a, just a one way conversation here. Um, but what, what do you think about that, John? You know, there's no point in brands just doing stuff to- in a tokenistic way, or or just slapping a logo on something and expecting to get some positive publicity. You've got to be authentic about it, haven't you? I I agree about that. It's interesting what you say about queens. I certainly know. Uh, there's been similar decisions taken back in Dublin, where I where I come from, where um, they 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 have um, uh, wonderful celebrations, and and of course, um, Ireland, I'm proud to say, has been has come from been a very conservative country to one where um, we became the first country in the world to legalize gay uh, marriage. But I think the, the the real point you're making, and going back to the survey, is that. You know, these the situations that the big corporations are faced with is a reminder that companies need to be consistent in living their mission and, and values. And it's and it it is really difficult um, if you're if you're in a situation where you've got a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand people all over America, let alone the rest of the world, that everybody is on message for those values. Um, you know, the old line about you're only as strong as your weakest link um, and organizations are really vulnerable. That said, even if a particular state or a city within an organization or an office goes rogue, um, to, to me, that does not mean that the company at its heart and in the center has not got very pure intentions. Um, and and uh, I, I, I think this... This road is uh, paved with many, many turns, and it's difficult to get it right all the time. Yeah, and um, we will be teaming up with Bospar at Cannes, actually, to put on an LGBTQI uh, night um, on the Wednesday, and that will be after the campaign beach party. So if you want to know more about that and you want to come along, um, do let us know if you're in Cannes. The next story is just almost unbelievable to me. When we woke up yesterday and uh, heard that, 
Live Golf uh, and, and the PGA were kind of merging after being at daggers drawn for the last uh, couple of years and never the twain shall meet. And it, it seems like it, it, a lot of this was been going on in the background and the players were as blindsided as everybody else. They found out on social media, just like we did. Frank, talk us through this story. Yeah, it's a surreal story with the, uh, well, it's being called a merger. Uh, between the PGA Tour and Live Golf, which of course is the uh, Saudi-backed uh, rival golf tour uh, of the PGA. So the, look, there's a lot of angles here to get through. Uh, number one is, you know, we've been talking to a lot of people over the past few years about the importance of employee communications. And if you consider the golfers, the employees in a, in a way here, um, there's obviously a lot of anger from them that they were not included in the conversation in the lead up, that they were completely blindsided, blindsided. And that's even, you know, stars like Rory McIlroy or, or Tiger Woods. And, and so if you're not including big people like this in the uh, in the discussion, you have to wonder what the leadership of the PGA was doing uh, in the first place. Um there, there's a lot of questions going forward about how this new organization, first of all, what it's going to be branded and called. Second, uh, how is it going to take itself to the market, so to speak? You know, are they going to do the thing that Live Golf had been doing and having these three-day events instead of the traditional four days? Uh, are they going to have these these team-oriented events that Live Golf came up with? Um, so there a lot of questions about that. Um, and there's also, we have a, a bit of a small analysis running this week about the questions that Live Golf in and of itself has has raised about uh, when agencies have to file with the Foreign Agents Registration Act, uh, because the question is whether this is just a uh, organization with foreign money operating as a sports league with no interest uh, to advance the the foreign policy entrance of, uh, of Saudi Arabia or if it's something else. And so uh, it's raised a lot of questions on that front too. So there's a lot that has to be sorted out here. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I hate to say it. It feels like a sad story, doesn't it? It's, it does. Uh, and it's not, it's yeah. not over yet, is it? I yeah. Know. Frank, I don't um, disagree with your analysis or how you, uh, you see the story having unfolded in the last day or two. I, I mean, I have to hand it to both sides that they did an incredible job about keeping it under wraps. Yes. Um, and I have to think that some of the media backlash to it is because uh, because of the fact that the media has been taken so utterly unawares about it. I mean, your point is well made about the employee communications part of it. But there are times um, when you know, you're between a rock and a hard place and, and it's really impossible to um, have consultations without a great fear of these, the story leaking. Now, with the benefit of hindsight, you know, one could argue that another way to have approached this is to make the world know that there were some conversations going on. That's only with the benefit of hindsight. But um, whichever way they went, there was a real risk in it. But I think it's really interesting to listen to what Rory McIlroy himself had to say earlier on today, speaking from, from Canada. And he did say, of course, he was taken aback. And he did say that it's hard for him not to feel um, a, a sacrificial lamb in all of this. But he, he, he did go on to say, on, on balance, I, I think it's really better to have live as a partner than as your enemy. And, and 
you know, for all the communications issues that are going on here, um, one cannot forget that there was an enormous legal situation going on behind mm-hmm. the scenes where these two organizations were going to, uh, you know, be clobbering one another over their head with their nine irons um, <laughs> for, for many years to come. Um, and, and the only winners were going to be uh, major law firms. And, and, you know, pragmatism is coming to the fore here. Now, I've heard arguments say, well, you know, they should have let it go on for another year, that this agreement is premature. I, I think it's extraordinary that they've got to this point um, as, as quickly as they have. But I also think that the next 48 hours will tell a lot. But I do think that Rory's intervention today um, being supportive of it while acknowledging that he himself feels wounded and him also um, being very supportive of the PGA leadership. All of that's going to count. John, what do you think? Do you think the fact that we're, we've got a Ryder Cup this year and it, we were facing the prospect and one of the biggest sporting events in the world and we were facing a prospect of the match really kind of being totally devalued, weren't we? Because the live golfers who are contain some of the best golfers in the in the world, some of the major winners from this year, they wouldn't have been able to take part in the Ryder Cup. So do you think that was a big driver behind this, that they really thought, look, we, we've got to get something sorted here? I I, I think that is um, uh, a real possibility. But I also think, I mean, as somebody who comes from a sports background, and, you know, I, I remember when I was much younger than I am today, I remember – you know, covering the Olympic Games uh, when I was working for RTE in 1980 in Moscow. You know, we're talking about 43 years ago and where there was a boycott by the Americans then. And then four years later, there was a, a boycott by the, the Soviets. And a, and a lot of the time, uh, you know, a lot of the athletes and, and others involved in sport wonder why it's always sport um, is is the one suffering here. I mean, it's Yesterday, while this was been announced, it's 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 easy to forget that Anthony Blinken was in uh, Saudi having talks with the um, Saudi government and and trying to make sure that um, relations between the United States of America and Saudi are moving on from events in the past. And and um, so you know that's all almost gone unnoticed in in uh, all of this. But I think your I think your point about the Ryder Cup is right, and I think there are lots of other elements of pragmatism um, coming along the line, saying, "Hold on a second, we're we're, we're you know I use the nine or seven iron or whatever analogy I used a little while ago. We're going to wrestle one another for years to come, um, and let's move on because we're somehow in the end of the day we're going to end up we're going to have to live with each other." Well, we had uh, Richard Edelman on the show a couple of weeks ago. Actually, it was a, our first live podcast. And uh, we asked him about the, the, his agency working on behalf of the Saudis and uh, doing work. And uh, he was very forthright in coming forward and saying he stands by that work and he is in favor of doing work that he believes will bring about positive change. What's your attitude as leader of uh, Fleischmann in that respect? Well, I respect Richard Edelman a great deal. Um, and, and, you know, this company here has done work uh, extensively for Saudi in the past, although we have not in uh, recent years. And, and um, I mean, we will continue uh, to look at that. And if he, is, if he is correct and if others are correct in saying 
that we will see material changes in Saudi Arabia. I, along with everybody else, would welcome that. But in recent years and under my leadership here, we have taken a, a wide berth uh, from from being involved in Saudi. But you know, we're all uh, pragmatic. And again, if what's happening in Gulf or what's happening with Newcastle United or a lot of other initiatives means that there will be a greater understanding and acceptance of um, the role of of women in society in Saudi for those who are LGBTQ. If there's changes there, then uh, that's for good. But, you know, for me and for others here, that day can't come a moment too soon. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we could go to, there's lots of other issues around this. Like, what about the sponsors of the PGA? I mean, you would have thought if they were consulted, Frank, that would have probably leaked out, wouldn't it? So right, presumably yeah. they weren't. And they sink millions and millions of dollars into this sport. And I think year. you could tell by the article in the Wall Street Journal today that they were not and they were blindsided by it. Mm. Um but uh, we've talked to some sports marketing experts this week, and they don't expect major changes with the sponsors. They expect them to stick around. Yeah. All right. We're uh, we're running a bit late, so let's push on. Uh, let's talk about the Brand Entertainment Awards. We rebranded them from the Brand Film Awards and widened out the scope of them. We gave them out this week. Any highlights for you, Frank? Yeah, a few of them. And um, one of the big winners at this year's Brand Entertainment Awards was the Nature Conservancy Change for Balance in Prince EA, and it's called Dear Parents, and it talks about how young people uh, are suffering from something called echo anxiety, uh, which is essentially, uh, it's it's this sense of the effect that the global warming is having on the world and what the world is going to be like when they grow up. And so it, it's a really interesting campaign that won big at the awards. And it's it's one of those, especially given the, the reddish skies say, outside. It's quite, quite yeah, appropriate for it, this uh, afternoon. It really makes you think a bit. So I think that was probably my favorite campaign of the winners. I know what you're thinking, kids these days. What do they know? You may say we're young. We were born yesterday. And okay, you would be right. We were born yesterday. But we stayed up all night. Yeah, lots of great campaigns there. Well worth checking out. Really good um, work across the board. Integrated work. It's a joint thing between us, PR Week campaign and MM&M Medical Marketing and Media. And it's worth uh, worth a look. On the move. Frank, two massive people moves that kind of happened over the last couple of weeks when we haven't been doing a normal show that we should cover. Corey Dubrowa has uh, is leaving Google. He's going to become the new CEO of Burson Conan Wolf or BCW as they're known, taking over from Donna Imperato. And Aaron Radlett is leaving Walgreens Boots Alliance. Uh, so talk us through those two quickly. Yeah, and I think especially BCW's hire of Corey Dubrowa was a, a big surprise to a lot of people. Uh, because he had a very prominent role in the industry and within Google and Alphabet, leading VP of uh, leading global communications and public affairs. There, you think about the breadth of services products that Alphabet does. I mean, just uh, and and you know, all around the world, just a, just a huge job there. So he's moving over to BCW in August, and uh, of course, he's replacing Donna Imperato, who led the firm through its merger from Conan Wolf. Uh, and Burson Marsteller into BCW Group, and she had been there about 15 years. So uh, interesting to see where Corey is going to take the agency going forward. 
Uh, and like you mentioned, Aaron Radelette is stepping down from Walgreens Boots Alliance after four years there. He is going to be replaced as chief communications officer by Beth Leonard, who is the uh, chief corporate affairs officer at Emblem Health. Yeah, John, you've got a new competitor, Corey. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I, um, well, I, I admire and I like Corey, not just because he was chair of the PR Week judges that uh, <laughs> selected Josh Miller. He had no say in that, by the way, because I know some people think he did because they've, they've, they've challenged me on it. But uh, anyway, yeah, carry on. But, so, so that would not not uh, sway me one way or the other. Um, but uh, he he and I have had a number of exchanges over the last uh, couple of days, and and uh, I wish him well. And I I have um, pleaded with him if he could just leave uh, some crumbs for the rest of us. <laughs> I, I I would appreciate that greatly. Um, I, I I think it's um I think it's a great move. Um, for BCW, um, and uh, I, I think it's a big move. But going back to what we were talking about earlier on in terms of where our industry's at, if, uh, Steve, you need the proof point of where our industry's at, if somebody like Corey is making the move from where he's coming to come into the industry in the way that he is, that says a lot about the standing of this industry right now. Yeah, of course, he spent time, he started out at uh, Wagner Edstrom and he spent time at agencies. Ooh. So, um, yeah, the, the one thread, a uh, couple of threads on these stories and another story, which is Craig Buchholz, who's who uh, moved on from GM and we, we covered that a few months ago. It's that there seems to be a trend toward communications going through marketing, which I find slightly odd. And that was one of the reasons um, Craig left GM and Aaron Radlett, uh, the new per- the new CMO there, is going to be the person who the, the new CCO at Walgreens reports into. And even at, Go- at Google, um, certainly temporarily, comms will report through Lorraine Tuhill, the CMO. John, do you see that as a trend? And if so, what, where does that leave us? Because if you've been hired and uh, to, to report directly to the CEO and then all of a sudden you're told, well, actually you're reporting to the CMO, it's going to put your nose out of joint a bit. Or am I just? Yeah. Uh, is that just uh, being too sensitive? Uh, I think it's probably being too sensitive. Um, but I just to, for transparency here, I mean, I know Craig, uh, GM is a very big client of ours, you know, like Craig, and I wish him all the very best in his next move. And of course, Lorraine is a fellow Irish person, <laughs> doing, has done uh, remarkable things at, at, at Google. And I, I know uh, Lorraine well, and Google is a client too. Um, look, these things go one way, they go another and uh, these trends are never forever, and, and there will be many, many companies will continue to have comms, uh, you know, speaking directly to the C- CEO, and, and organizations do it for, for, for their own uh, good reason. And certainly from my point of view, we're, we're comfortable mixing it with CEOs, CMOs, CCOs, Whomever, we'll talk to anybody. Yeah, uh, JJ Davis at Dell said that at our crisis conference, actually, that sometimes we obsess about it. It's a bit too much. But uh, yeah, interesting perspective. Frank, Nectar Communications co founder Tracy Shogreen is retiring. 
That's right. And um, Rachel Peterson is going to serve as the sole CEO uh, over at Nectar. Shogun's last day was uh, was June 2nd, and uh, she talked about the deep admiration, love, and respect uh, that she has for Peterson, who's going to succeed her in the sole CEO position, and called her truly the most simpatico person I could have ever shared a business with. So uh, they started this agency all the way back in 2008. It's a tech specialist. Um, and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy to think that was really at the beginning of the social media boom. And now here we are talking about web three and the Apple headset, um, and, uh, augmented reality and, uh, AI. So, uh, you know, just a totally different world from when they launched the firm. Yeah. Especially the tech PR firm sector for sure. John, we've seen Tracy's retiring there. We saw Donna, we're talking about Donna Imperato retiring. Andy Polanski retired, uh, last year. You're still a young man, but have you got any plans to, uh, have you got a, you know, going sort of doing that round the world tour or whatever, going and watching lots of rugby and soccer, or are you still uh, up for the fight and ready to lead the firm to maybe a hat trick of PR week awards, uh, victories? I'm hurt and wounded that you would even (laughs) suggest I'd be contemplating that. I'm only, I'm only getting going. I'm my first flush of youth here. (laughs) I know, of course. I wasn't. All right, we'll leave it at that. Um, but I do, I do, I, I do have um, season tickets for the magnificent new Everson Stadium on the banks of uh, the Royal Blue Mersey, and I hope, I, I hope to have. Um, to be not missing too many of those games in the future. Well, you really are a glutton for punishment, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, Frank, Joel Frank, they're suing Twitter over unpaid bills. That's a yeah, old. and um, and it's a not exactly a shock to see this when you think about how many other different types of service providers have uh, sued Twitter, whether in some landlords as well uh, have sued uh, Twitter for unpaid bills. Um, so yeah, so it said Joel Frank, of course, the specialist corporate financial communications firm, uh, said in its filing that Twitter had not paid its bills since Elon Musk bought the company in November, and it owes over eight hundred thousand dollars. Wow. John, is that just a, a one-off with Twitter, or are you seeing in this second straightened economic times that it's harder to get clients to pay up, or that they're taking longer to pay? Well, first of all, I'm 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 very familiar with Joel Frank, and you know they're a very good firm. Um, I think I would say this: it's a good reminder uh, to all of us to be especially vigilant with contracts and billing collection, particularly at at these times. So. Uh, I I would I would say this that we we have not experienced uh, anything significant in recent times. That's not to say it hasn't happened to us in the past. I'd be telling a lie if if I said otherwise. But um, we know we're always working here to to make sure that we vigorously uh, assess who we're working for, um, and and to make sure we do our absolute best uh, to ensure that we're able to collect. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, some of these companies are putting you on such uh, egregious terms anyway, 90, 120, 150 days that you can't afford to uh, not have them paying. Anyway, a couple of quickies to finish, Frank. Chris Licht is out at CNN. We woke up to that this morning. What a what a wild story <laughs> yeah. this has been since this weekend in which he uh, granted 
months-long access uh, to reporters from The Atlantic, uh, and including things about his workout routines and how uh, Jeff Zucker, his predecessor, couldn't do squats and, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, really boggles the mind that a CEO was saying things like this on the record in front of reporters for months at a time. But, um, well, anyway, he's out. Still uh, got journalism, still I, got I would some like, power. I'd like my bosses, I'd like my bosses to know that it's taken seven and a half years <laughs> for me to grant <laughs> PR week access to this CEO. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was a nice piece of journalism. It really was. 1,500 words, uh, 15,000 words, excuse me. Wow. Uh, about his tenure. Um, and it, it described him as it described like as having hubristic cooperation in the uh, in the articles. So. Yeah, it makes you wonder about these uh, the clubs, football clubs that allow the cameras behind the scenes for a season and stuff. Then doesn't it? Um, and then finally, Messi, Lionel Messi, is off to Miami. He is, yeah. So uh, as I said before, Fabrizio Romano has tweeted it, so it must be real. Uh, this is going to be really interesting because um, it's going to be an exciting couple of years for soccer in the United States because you will have uh, Messi playing in MLS, uh, easily the best player to ever play in that league. Um, well, Zlatan might have something well, to say about that, mate, <laughs> who retired this week finally. Yeah, I, won't, I won't challenge Zlatan. <laughs> no, don't fight, challenge Zlatan. Can I, can I, just, yeah. I, I just want to intervene and say, you know, Messi may be big, but the biggest thing that has happened to the MLS in a very, very long time <laughs> is the fact that St. Louis City is now playing in that league and doing very well, thank you, and is um, beautiful new stadium downtown St. Louis, always sold out, winning team, great owners, and uh, it's just wonderful to see uh, the game of association football <laughs> and embrace to the extent that it Are is. Client, in, uh, Are they a client, John? I couldn't possibly say. <laughs> so, but it, you bring up a good point because in, in cities like St. Louis and Charlotte, where there was a lot of skepticism about whether these clubs would succeed, they've done very well at the start, you know, and mm. uh, in terms of attendance. So I, I hope it continues. Well, genuinely, genuinely, I mean, St. Louis has always been um, a real rock of uh, soccer. And if you go back to the 1950 World Cup, where there was a famous... Oh, he, had to, where, he had to bring this one up, didn't he? Steve, Steve's, Steve's country. Well, you know, you you're, you keep having a go at me about Everton the whole time. So, so, so when Eng England, for the first time, um, decided to condescend to take part in the World Cup 20 years after everybody else was doing it, and then lost to the United States and Belo Horizonte in Brazil. And I think four or five of the team came from St. Louis. All right. Let me, let me just add to that, though, because there's there's a lot of really interesting business angles to this uh, Messi and MLS story. And that, that number one, there's some speculation that the Miami team might have to play where the Dolphins play because their stadium that's under construction might be too small. Yeah. And there's also... Um, you know, if you look at what is speculated to be in the contract in terms of a percentage of the sales of this Apple TV MLS season pass subscription, that's quite a bit of money. But it also creates this thing where uh, people all over the world will be able to watch this via uh, the Apple TV Plus platform. So yeah. um, we'll, we'll see how successful that is. He won't be playing for former Everton captain Phil Neville, though, will he? Because uh, his friend David Beckham fired him at the weekend. 
<laughs> anyway, <laughs> so you, and you, and you and excuse me, you omitted to talk about Neville's connections with Manchester United. I have to say that one of one of the delightful contrasts between going to an MLS game, and I've gone to many of them here, and and as you've been and I've been to many soccer games where the language is pretty raw. Um, the worst abuse that I heard at a game here was when the Charlotte centre forward was going to ground rather too often. Somebody behind me in the in the crowd kept shouting at him, "Oh, go home to your mama! Go home to your mama!" <laughs> yeah, that, that, I can't imagine that's uh, in the streets around Goodison Park with the uh, Everton fans <laughs> waiting for United's uh, boys with their uh, Stanley knives. But anyway, that's why they call it Stanley. Park. Hey, hey, Stanley excuse Park. me, that is that is. Uh, I object to that, and actually. When I was 14 going to uh, see Everton against Manchester United, I was beaten up by Manchester United thugs. So there you are. My hearty apologies, John. I'm sorry. Uh, you <laughs> seem you. to have survived Thank and you. come out thriving, though. So uh, that was a formative experience. We're back to where we started, adversity, right? And, uh, and um, you know, robustness. So, uh, yeah. Listen, John, it's been fantastic. Well worth waiting seven and a half years to get you on the show. Thank you so much. And uh, continued good fortune to you frank great to be back in the studio with you don't forget yeah we will be at Cannes in a couple of weeks so um if you're there to uh ping us and uh we'll see if we can meet up we've got our purpose awards the first deadline is friday the 9th of june final deadline the 16th 40 under 40 get your great talent into that 22nd of june for the first deadline 29th of, for the final and the uh events in october in new york and finally, PR Decoded, get it on your agenda, October 11th to 12th in Chicago with the Purpose Awards ceremony. But that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. PR Week.